Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week, we're joined by retired linguistics professor Jana Vismuller-Zoko. In this thought-provoking conversation, we discuss ways to improve upon the university system as it is currently structured. We also touch on how some individuals feel we can improve the human experience through Humanity Plus, formerly known as transhumanism. Sit back and enjoy the show. I'm going to sip on Campari. Oh, very nice. Okay, Where's well, yours? I have a, uh, a licorice root tea. That licorice I'm gonna... root tea? That's... Yes. We can put it together. <laughs> well, we'll definitely put it together. So here you go. Cheers. So cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to she sit down with me. She didn't offer me a drink, you know? She didn't offer you a drink. That's right. So what <laughs> oh am I going to do? Uh, I mean, you know, I think you take it upon yourself to grab yourself a drink. Yes. I think that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Hi, Chris. How are you? Not bad. You? I'm doing fantastic. Good. Thank you. you look good. I'm glad. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> you after. I won't disturb you. Okay. <laughs> I love it. See, this is the this is the new Zoom world, right? This is the new business meeting, um, whether it's a dog jumping in or a child in the background or a, a husband who apparently didn't get a drink offered to himself. So. <laughs> it's funny because I take, uh, of course, Sanskrit on, on, the, on the web through Zoom and Arati doesn't have a notion of, of Zoom. So he comes in and talks and well, I am, you know, answering the teacher's question, the prof's question. So it's so funny. Uh, and, and he would like to learn, but you know, in the circle, his friends, they are all older. Okay. And they don't know how to set up the, um, so I told him one of these days we'll sit down and we'll see if we can, because I don't think it's difficult. No, you know, that's the beautiful thing about technology is, is it is very one click and go. Um, but you, don't you do have, have to know the clicks. You, you, you do know. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, but the good thing is you don't need to know the code, right? You don't need to write this code yourself. No. Um, but you're absolutely right. You still need a starting point or you can't get yeah. going. Yeah. Um, but I think that that would, I think that'd be great, you know, for him to, to be able to jump on board and and kind of learn something new and just kind of freshen freshen the skills or have a discussion with you know more than one friend because he's, he's on skype so he's okay mm -hmm. there but i think it would be good for him to have more than one yeah Anything. absolutely absolutely even it's even more uh, brought out to the attention now isn't it when, when everybody is home you know, and not just uh, not just individuals who might be, you know, retired or out of work or just stay at home parents, yeah. you know, this is an opportunity for growth all around, right? Yes. After we met last summer, uh, which was fantastic, you had us over to the house, which is great. And you and I started to to just rift ideas back and forth. Yes. And, yeah. and I said to as soon as I found out that you were a former, like a retired linguistics professor, did I get that correct? Yes. Okay, perfect. Uh, as soon as I found that out, I was like, oh my God, I mean, I've got to sit down and talk to this woman because <laughs> I mean, I want to pick her brain on so many things. And then I realized that, um, you know, for kicks, you just write research papers. Um, well, and... yes. 
<laughs> I mean, talk about keeping the, the brain fresh and, and keeping ideas flowing. Um, I want to kind of pick your brain a little bit on your motivations before we start into some some ideas mm -hmm. that you have. Mm -hmm. uh, you had warned me uh, beforehand that you don't really subscribe to the conventional thinking, which okay. is exactly what I want in these conversations. I want to get all the, the scopes, but I want to get into it with people who are highly intellectual that have some ideas outside of the box, because I think that we could both agree that some of the ideas that are conventional thinking doesn't necessarily work for everybody, does it? Absolutely. Yes. And that that's an area that interests me too. Although, you know, the frustration is great because you don't have an echo of your ideas. You don't have a give and take with anybody. And even while I was teaching and working and, uh, you know, we had meetings, people didn't seem to share my, my objections or my frustrations. Uh, I guess people are happy in the groove. I mean, that would be my, my idea. And mm -hmm. the other thing is also people are frustrated because there is no way to change the system. I mean, that's, that's a big task, right? If, if, so we're going to jump into education because okay. you, we both come at things from, from different backgrounds and different, uh, different approaches. Yes. You're an educated woman who is a former professor. Right. Um, and I am an, a not formally educated individual. Uh, but one of the things that we share in deep common is our, our interest in, in everything and our interest in looking at different viewpoints and right. education is one of those things that's always kind of boggled my mind because if we start to get into the structure of what education is I was one of those people that when I was in high school I just wanted to get to the end of high school I didn't really come from a, a family that had a lot of education mm -hmm. so there was no real you know, push to get post-secondary education. So in that situation, it was more get a job, get some money um, and don't waste the money borrowing if you don't have it to go to school. Mm -hmm. Now, the way that I have the system set up in my mind is if you don't know exactly what you want to do, then, then don't waste your money and your time doing that. Now, that was my early beliefs. My beliefs now have vastly changed when it comes to education, um, but I still feel I'm very frustrated in terms of the way the education system is set up. So yeah. why don't you share with me and, and the audience, what is some of the frustrations that you have in, in the way that the system is set up? Mm -hmm. You know, I had been teaching for more than 35 years uh, at the university level. My observations are firsthand and I also, also, obviously, read some articles and some research on, on education. But I think there is a vast difference between the university today and the university in the past. Uh, I think that's why, in the past, parents were not really pushing kids to go to university because they said, well, go to work, right? That, that was the yeah. purpose. And the university was seen as something outside of work, something outside of your usual life something, an ivory tower that's really separated from everyday concerns. And the university has dramatically changed in that now it seems to be trying to pre prepare young people for work. Exactly, but it was not before. Mm. So now parents are even more into, yeah, everybody's got to go because that it prepares you for, for, a, for a job. But I think it's a completely wrong stance because 
there is no job, as far as I know, that you cannot learn in two years outside of the university. You jump in the pool and you swim. Mm -hmm. You're not going to drown. People are going to help you. You're going to learn whatever it is you need to learn. That's the one first point that I, 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 I wanted to say. The other point is that most of the jobs that we know today will be replaced by machines. Uh, it's funny because every time I meet a new person, uh, I say, well, do you think you, your job will be replaced by, by computers? And they say, absolutely, yes, but not now. <laughs> the only person who says my job will never be replaced by computers is my hairdresser. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, the articulation back, there is yeah. not, uh, it's nowhere near it. Yeah, back to, so, so on the one hand, the university is attempting to prepare young people for a job. And on the other hand, you know, the jobs that we see around today may not be lasting more than five years as the technology is going. Mm -hmm. So do we need universities? The, the obvious answer would be no. I mean, what would you, you go to college maximum two years, you, you learn whatever is there to learn in your, in your job, uh, for your job, and you, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. But my question is, uh, are human beings born to work? Do we have to work? But that's, you know, that's beyond the discussion about, about the education. So back to the education, I think that it would be smarter if we had, if Everybody had to go to university. Don't make it four years. Don't make it three years. Make it two years. But make it a real, I, I don't have the, the definition yet. I don't want to use educational experience. I want to have it. And I don't even want to say, you know, open your brain because open you can open your brain by yourself. I just want to say to, to so that you have a chance. You, you, don't, you don't work. You will be paid. Uh, hopefully the government will, you know, support you in these two years so that you get exposed to different ideas. Mm -hmm. Because social media, mass media now, the algorithms, they are all pointing us to the things that we know and we are comfortable with. And that's mm -hmm. wrong. We have to be exposed to something different. We have to be exposed to new ideas, ideas that would have never occurred to us because we have to work, we are, you know, in, the, in that group we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. So I, I know how the university should look like, but, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's, um, that's a big question mark. Uh, and I think we are losing the greatest of opportunities during the pandemic that we could really re rethink this, mm -hmm. could really rethink this. Um, the universities are extremely slow-moving dinosaurs. Um, it's very difficult to change anything within the system unless you completely turn it on its head. Now, I don't know what, how you're, because you come from, from a background that was not part, you, you were not a part of the system. Mm -hmm. But I think that there is a place for an educational setting that provides you with access to sources of information, to specialists, to people who have had different experiences from yours. And I think the university would be is the only place, unless you read absolutely all the books and all the encyclopedias and you don't do anything else. Mm -hmm. But the, the university is a shortcut. It's a shortcut to getting exposed to different ideas because you don't have usually at your fingertips, let's say you take five courses, you have five different profs, 
five different disciplines. And obviously they, they will disagree with each other. They will point you in different directions. Um, so I, I think that that's where we should be heading rather than you gotta go to university because you gotta get a job, good job. How many university PhDs I know who drive a taxi cab? Lots. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what, what, was the, uh, what was their time? And they def- definitely don't have time to keep on reading, to keep on, you know, uh, expanding whatever it is they want to expand. So I don't know how you look at it because you were outside of the system. Now, do you, you feel that you are kind of, you don't have a skeleton on which to put the, the, the meat? Is, or you yeah. feel okay? You know, I, I kind of went through a lot of different thoughts over the years. Um, I When I was in school, elementary school, I was actually in special ed for for reading and writing, um, right. deemed right. deemed illiterate uh, at that point in time. So that was a that was a struggle. Yeah, that was a struggle. And and what I actually discovered over the years is that my definition of what education was and what intellect was was just far different than what I am. And that's, that's another point to what you're saying, you know, getting into that conversation about what is truly IQ. And I'm not talking about EQ, emotional intelligence aside. I'm just talking about how people learn and how people absorb information and the system that's set up in order to just memorize. Uh, I mean, I know some brilliant people, um, really intelligent. And every time I hear them talk about university, it's just a memorization practice for the most part uh when they're taking when you said like five different profs and you know five different things and you have to have this you know this course to compensate for that course and all of this type of stuff and I know it's supposed to give you an an overall and a rounded education but for me it just seems like you're jamming information down people's throat and then they don't even remember it so it makes me wonder what is the point that you like similar to what you're asking only because once you get into the workforce with this degree and this education, you have to learn the way that company then does. So, I mean, that's where I, 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 continue, I continue to stack up the question marks as to what are we doing with this education? And I think the university is getting a really bad rap because of courses like, for example, biology. I took a course in biology. I, I made it a point every year that I was teaching to see what my colleagues are doing that biology was exactly what you're telling me. You either memorize or you're out. I flunked the first test because I didn't, you know, I didn't really study as as much as I should because I was just auditing it. But yeah, I mean, biology requires you to memorize, but it's not all the courses that are like that. Mm -hmm. And I think especially in the humanities, history, what are you gonna memorize? I mean, obviously you will know your years when Napoleon was born or when he died or whatever, and you don't have to memorize that, you can look it up, mm-hmm. right? So the university as it is now, that's what it's promoting because mm-hmm. people want a job. Oh, I took a course in biology, but I can become such and such. No, you know, and therefore uh, it's pandering to certain desires or certain views of life that I think are wrong. And you know that's why it's getting a bad, bad uh, rap. I, I, I don't know. I and I know lots of my colleagues that don't have students memorize. Mm-hmm. They make it so that the the content is full of yes facts, but also different ways of looking at the fact. You know, 
Okay. So you're getting into something that is near and dear to my heart, which is critical thinking, right. which is the cornerstone of post-secondary education, especially university right. right now. There is a spin that's been talked about now for probably the past five or 10 years, especially the past three to five years, which is the cancel culture in universities and really starting to create an atmosphere of not being able to have open discussion which if you can't have an open discussion, then the framework of what you're talking about that's wrong with university actually works really well because you just get presented with information, you remember it, no problem, you know, no fuss, no muss. Right. But what you're saying is it should go back to what it was before, which is critical thinking. The data is going to be there. But one of the things that I've noticed between myself and Kat as being a big difference is both of our brains can kind of operate on the same level, but the way that she processes information, she learned a different way to process information. So she can get information differently than the way I get it, maybe even retain it, which seems to me might be a good aspect of university but would you agree with that i absolutely agree because i strongly believe that nobody can teach me how to think however people can help me to find the ways of thinking if you're on your own it's extremely difficult mm -hmm. i mean i'm saying i'm not saying it's impossible but you certainly can find different ways of thinking but make it a habit to try to think differently. So, yes, uh, you are right. That doesn't mean that one is better, one is worse. It just gives you a different way of approaching a subject. Mm -hmm. And I also think it kind of collapses timeframes a little bit because here I am, 44 years old, and I feel like only over the past five years, I've really started to embrace um, my mind is being what it is and what it's capable of doing. And, and this is at the point where most people are just kind of sitting back and, and, you know, collecting their money, high income years, you know, and, and gearing up towards retirement down the road or kids college, university, all that type of stuff. Yeah. And so if I would have been kind of taught the things that I found on my own earlier, then maybe the timeframes would have been more collapsed. On the other hand, you know, there would be uh, researchers who would say, well, without those early experiences, you wouldn't be where you are now. And that's one of, that's a fascinating point because I always go back and forth based on, you know, uh, formal education and experience because that, that experience that you gain is, is vital, right? And it's, it's experience that I would have gained at a younger age that people in college and university weren't living just yet. They were learning how to learn and they were learning how they were going to go about life that's right and then there's other people that are kind of in it like orazio you know he's in there at you know young ages learning how to live learning how to, and he's a brilliant man i had some fascinating conversations with him um and, and so there's there's brilliance at different levels right and you yes. get that through yes. different means and different yeah different means going back to the system as it is now it is very wrong and it promotes wrong things it uh, it goes in a wrong direction completely um especially as the work is concerned you know can you imagine if you could devote two years of your life just just being exposed to different things you never thought yeah. about that'd be That's fantastic heaven, right <laughs> oh my god I, I i've already i've always said that if i could sit in a garden like the old philosophers back in the day and just get paid or just live to think and and not do anything that would be that would be an ideal situation. Now, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if all people know this, but if you're over 65, you get free access to the university. Oh, uh, really? If you are below 65, if you're interested, 
you email the prof and say, could I audit? That means you wouldn't be marked on anything. You would just be sitting on the, on the classes. And most of the colleagues, me included, we always had auditors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not an ivory tower by no means. Uh, you can make it really, and it is open. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, people can take advantage. Now, unfortunately, it's over 65. I don't know why it's not over 20 or over 15, because yeah. if you're interested, well, why not open it up? Very good point. Well, what are your viewpoints then on these online courses like a Corsica? I, there's a bunch of other different ones as well, where they're they're creating these online communities. I mean, I've taken a few different courses through those uh, through those universities as well, and I know that there was a big push. There was people trying to get petitions signed to have those courses. Uh, recognized as a legitimate degree if you were able to go through and get those degrees. Like, how do you view those online? I, I, am, I am smiling because uh, I had just retired when York was talking about, you know, putting many courses online. But it was not because, you know, it would be uh, available to more people, but it was because of money, because, you know, they needed more money. So more students, more money. That's how the government works. The more students you have in your courses in your universities, the more money you get from the government. Mm -hmm. It's full-time complement students get, you know, the, the, the money. So I am not really, I, I'm not in it. I don't have an experience. All I know is that universities are, are viciously trying to cover their territory, so to speak. And any other system that's outside of it, they, they are fighting it. So they are saying, well, those courses are you don't get a degree. Uh, with us, you get a degree. I mean, it's not really, is it really worth it to get upset about uh, about money, about funding? Is, is there all there is? It's, uh, it doesn't seem, uh, you know, really worth it. On the other hand, if you, if you are at, a, at an institution, uh, the institution has experience in getting you through by steps, and at the end, the institution knows what steps you have taken, and therefore it can grant you that degree. Mm -hmm. If you take courses outside, you can take all the, all the courses you want, but are they are they leading you somewhere? Are they you know? Uh, so it's 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 difficult. I I don't have a. Um, really an opinion because I don't have experience in this. That's fair. Well, let's speak to something that you are used to, which is the university system. One of the things that I actually found very interesting over the years in talking to people, a great friend of mine had uh, furthered his education while he was working as well. And it's this whole idea of these courses are recognized by this university, but this university doesn't recognize that. And if you talk about a, a melting pot for what seems to just be completely money motivated, like, what are we talking about here? Is UFT that much better than McMaster? Is, you know, Athabasca that much? Like, what's happening here with this? Why don't we have something along the lines of a, like a, almost like a universal recognized university curriculum, because even at that point in time, you're paying X amount of dollars, going back to your point, you're paying X amount of dollars for this education and X amount of dollars for this one down here. And in the working world, one is valued more than the other. Is that fair? What's but the deal with that? Yeah, but that's interesting because you your point of reference is the working world. So if we really want to go that route, well, then the working world should have an idea of the final product of the university education. 
And that should be our measuring stick. So I don't know in, uh, let's say in a, in a, a business administra administration, the working world, world would require the students to have covered certain things in a certain number of courses. And that would have to be universal. As it is now, there is a sort of more elbow room. But I will tell you a concrete example where the idea of universality is very difficult. For example, there are universities that teach, let's say, Italian. In the first year, certain universities finish a whole textbook that gives you the whole grammar. In other universities, the first year finishes half of the textbook that gives you half of the grammar. So how are you going to, you can't really get, if you finish in one year, you can't get the student who only had half a year in your next semester, you know what I mean? It would be unfair to the student. It is unfair for the student to start afresh, but it is. it would be, I think, more unfair to start him or her further than he or she was exposed to. So it's very difficult and I'm sure all the disciplines have problems like this. So that's why there are, there are these problems. So is a better way of thinking about it then we have to kind of start at the finish? Like what is this education, what is this education and this degree supposed to accomplish and then work its way back from there so that way we can get together some kind of a game plan as to how to maybe get a little bit more? If you need universities to get you a job, then I would say that would be the route to go. But then you have colleges. Mm -hmm. Get to your college. You, as I said before, you can learn anything in two years if you put your mind. Your, you know, you have blinkers on and you just do that. Mm -hmm. That's fine if you want to do that. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And university should not be for that. Absolutely not. Um, yes. But back to your question, I think the the the, the Canadian uh, Minister of Education is looking at the fact that maybe what we should do is to have different universities with different specializations. So mm. not that all the universities would teach business administration, all universities would teach Russian, but you know, U of T would teach business administration, McMaster would teach Russian, whatever. So I think they are, they are thinking of doing it that way. And especially now when you can take courses online, that could be a possibility. Do you think that that would get away from the whole idea of having to take other courses that don't necessarily have to do directly with the uh, topic at hand? See, that's precisely the crux of the matter. Because yeah. if the university is there to, to get you a job mm -hmm. and you know what the job is and you know what you need to get it, you will not have time to have the yeah. stress. But you need the extras. The extras are the university. The extras are, are there for people to get out of their group, to get out of their rut. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you wouldn't have time for that. So that's no. why it's, it's set up wrong. It's, it's, uh, you, you cannot have it all. You just cannot have it all. So you wrote an amazing uh, piece that you've referred to a couple of times on your blog. With, like I said, you you may be retired, but you are you keep yourself busy. Absolutely. So you have a uh, blog called The Reading Rascal. Yes. Okay, perfect. And the, you wrote an article, Six Steps Towards 21st Century Universities, yes. where you do discuss some of these ideas uh, as to what you feel might be a, a good way, a good step forward 
you're by no means, when I read this, like you're, you're by no means saying this is the way you have to do it. This is the only way we're succeeding. You're just throwing ideas out there, which is, uh, is exactly what you're talking about. Universities should be sharing ideas and developing ideas, right? Um, you started right off with two major assumptions uh, right, right before you get into your points, which one is a universal basic income. And the other one is that we've, uh, we've got to a point where we're not wasting our resources, time, um, you know, the, the whole gamut of universe, our human activities that we, we waste our times with. They're time wasters, right? So those are, those are two major assumptions. But the, the first one, I like the, the, basic or the basic income because this is something that I've been trying to figure out for a while in terms of just a, uh, a national basic income, not even directly really, uh, related to education, but I'm trying to figure out with all these resources and all these things that we have at our disposal, how come a basic income couldn't work? <laughs> I wish I had the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to set you up there. I was trying to sneak in the answer. <laughs> For example, we are, uh, during the pandemic, basically people are receiving what could be termed, you know, partial universal income. Um, so it is possible. I mean, there is money for it. On the other hand, you know, it's uh, it's a question mark. Then how do you? Uh, there were, by the way, experiments in universal income, even in Canada, Manitoba. Uh, there is one in Kenya now. Uh, there are different ones that were tried uh, in Europe, in the States. Um, and uh, people usually have two views on this. The conservatives say, oh, that's the most awful idea because people are getting money and they're gonna be lazy and they're gonna just drink beer and watch television. And the other side, supported by research, by the way, says people are more eager to find a job, to better themselves because they have, they don't have to worry about you know, am I gonna eat tomorrow? And the research was very interesting, especially about the Manitoba case. If you have a chance, if you're interested in uh, mm -hmm. income, universal income, then, then, then look it up. Uh, because the research says, wow, none of these people were unemployed after two or three months. They actually found jobs and they, were, they, they loved it. So, um, so you know, there, there are things to consider. What type of the government do we have? Does the government, would could the government support an idea like this? Uh, the universal income that was suggested for Finland was very interesting because they gave everybody, I think 2000 euros a month. I haven't seen the results, but uh, they uh, they didn't include, I as far as I remember correctly, they didn't include health insurance. They didn't include other services so, so that's another question to, to have. I mean, would you, education, would the education be included in that? So there are still unanswered questions, but I think that's, that's the way to go. Italy has implemented uh, universal income since before the pandemic. I think they also have though uh, thresholds. So there are countries who are experimenting with this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know why Canada doesn't have that discussion, especially now. I mean, it seems to me like we're just kind of stuck in this uh, this 
world of thinking that money is real. And I mean, I know that that sounds like a fantastical socialistic thing to say, but when we consider the fact that- Can I I interrupt you? Sure. What is this fear of socialism? I don't know. I mean, this is part of what I'm trying to figure out. I don't know. Like I mentioned, I was, I was trying, I was trying to read the, um, uh, Marxism, the the uh, Marxism. I was trying to kind of educate myself on that, and I'll be honest with you, I couldn't really get to the point where it was making a lot of sense to me. However, there were some ideas there that I was like, I, I don't understand why this is a bad thing, and and I did grow up hearing the same thing. Oh God, no! Like, oh, this uh, socialism is horrible, and we you know can't do this, we can't do that, and really demonizing it. So, yeah. Yeah. to answer your question, I have no idea. Yeah. And if you look down south, oh my gosh, I mean, Sanders is, is deemed a socialist, which he's not. I mean, he's got some, some ideas that are different from the one that you just mentioned, that money is everything. Mm-hmm. Money is not everything. And, you know, I keep on saying money is only paper or plastic or whatever it is made from now, or it mm-hmm. will be, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a virtual form. Uh, of course, I understand that there is added value and added this, added that. But in, in the final analysis, what is it exactly? It's exactly what you just said. It's di- it's digital now. It's not even paper. I mean, this stuff is so far from being real. You know, when, obviously, once they took us off the gold standard, you know, it became less of a value. You could print paper and call it whatever you wanted right. to call it. Yeah. Now you don't even see that. Now it's digits on a screen. And that's why, again, it, it keeps coming back to me. What, what is it? What are we talking about here? We just announced in the other the other day again that the deficit because of COVID is 400 billion. And, and I said to myself, it doesn't matter. Like, no, nobody's going to call that debt. Like it's, this isn't like the bank that's going to come and get your house. Nobody's going to come to Canada and take Canada. So why don't we just agree that the value that we did put on most of this stuff is a, is a myth. It's a power play. It seems like that. Uh, to be me. careful because we are very much enmeshed in, in an economy that is highly traditional, highly capitalistic. And yeah. I mean, look at somebody told me, uh, I don't remember who, that uh, China is already owning a lot of land of the state because where does the money come from? You do have to borrow it from someplace. Yeah. And the person who, borrow, who lends it to you, they want it back. Well, that's, that's what I had read a while back about China buying up the U.S.'s debt. Unless, unless we have a completely different system. To be honest, I don't have the answer to what type of a system it should be, but I know that it shouldn't be based on money. But it's going to take us. It's going to take a catastrophic event, which is this is the closest with COVID that we've been in in our lifetime to a catastrophic event that would make the globe look at their financial situation and say we got to change this, and and that came and went quickly. I mean, now people are just kind of digging themselves in deeper in terms of deficits. So this wasn't the opportunity to to change things wholesale. But you have to have agreements across the board in order to do something like that, right? It's exactly the same with the educational system as you're talking about and and uh, uh, I, I was I listened to your podcast and especially the one the very last one uh, I keep kept on saying but wait but wait <laughs> because you were talking about uh, you know this this fact of we need we need to wake up we need people to you know shake us by the shoulders and say well look 
uh, we lost the, uh, the the possibility during the pandemic. But from what <clears throat> excuse me for the, what I have been reading about climate change, about the way we go about producing our food, getting our food, uh, we are falling down a really deep hole. And and once it comes, no amount of money will be useful. Knowledge will be useful, but no amount of money will be useful. And even to couple with that, what are the things that we talk about all the time or you hear people talking about since the beginning of recorded time is the one thing that people regret on their deathbed is not doing more not experiencing more. And what we're doing is we're kind of implementing ourselves or we're part of a system that doesn't really allow us to do that unless we take it upon ourselves to either um, go out there and work really, really hard. And in the process, you might actually be breaking your body down. So you're not enjoying things the way that you would anyways. Um, or you you just dream about those opportunities to be able to do the things that you wanted to do. So we're missing things on, on two fronts, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why the system is set up wrong. Even, uh, you know, work. Uh, who said that we have to start working when we are 18? Why don't we start working when we are 50? Mm. Because you won't be able to travel. You're going to be, you know, this is hurting. That is hurting. You can't see where you can't hear very well. Uh, where are you going to go? <laughs> uh, I'm not saying 50, but, you know. So um, work. Why eight hours? Who said? Who said you have to work eight hours? Uh, why isn't it three? Why isn't it two? Why, why isn't it one? <laughs> you know. Um, so I think everything has to be sort of looked at. And, uh, but we have to really think about it carefully. And I don't well, know, there, is, there doesn't seem to be the will, the desire to do that. It seems to come back to that old saying, you know, it's the way we've always done it, right? Like this, the one thing that I do see slightly changing with COVID is companies waking up to the fact that working from home is a real thing. Now, I had read an article a couple of years ago that in London, how, you know, the work from home thing cost wise wasn't as beneficial to a city or, or, you know, a region than it is to work from an office building when it comes to heating and electricity costs and, and so on. Um, but if we're talking about truly caring about people's quality of life and this work-life balance that seems, seems to get thrown around all the time, and, you know, we take a look at this as an opportunity to start to change things for people who don't need to be traveling an hour minimum. So that way you can afford to buy a house and live in an area like it's when you start to dig deeper and deeper into this hole that we've got ourselves into in terms of this system that is created by money, it, there's, there seems to be no end to it. It's kind of exhausting. Yes, because everything is so connected to the money problem. Yeah. And it's very interesting because the research says, yeah, people may be more productive, but they are working longer at home. Yeah. They are not taking you know, breaks. They are not thinking about themselves. They are, are what is it, Zoom fatigue? You know, so back to what you said, uh, who cares about the work? Yeah. Final result, money is the you know, profit. That's what we are looking at. It's right at the crux of it. I mean, I understand why the saying, you know, money is the root of all evil. I don't necessarily agree, agree with it the way most people say it. But when you start to think about it in terms of how it does run every motivation that we have, yeah. I mean, the conversations that Kat and I have about money, because we, we grew up differently, we grew up 
Um, I didn't come from money at all. Not that, you know, she was rich or anything like that, but I didn't come from money at all. So scrimping and saving every last thing or, you know, allocating for that is really important to me. Uh, and people who are in a bit of a different position because they worked that way, they worked to get there. Um, they have different ideas of money and that's fantastic. But when you do look at the majority of public, money is the, is the motivation for the most part. However, when I talk, I've made it a point in these episodes to ask people, what's your motivation? Why are you doing what you're doing? And most people are just saying, I just do this because I need a job. I need to survive. It's like, wait a second. Like, how is, how is that a cornerstone for living? That's, that's just doing something. People sometimes fall into passions, but most of the time these people are doing jobs and developing careers out of pure necessity, not desire at all. And that's why people are not happy with their jobs. Their health is declining. And that's why we need universal income. So you wouldn't have those, those things bugging you at your back and pushing you, uh, you know, having three jobs and, uh, and, and, and all that. Because that's not, that's not living. No, definitely not. And, and it, takes a, it takes a special human being and a, and a special circumstance to be able to, you know, be a, a stay-at-home parent or a working parent, getting your education, all that. People do it and people will point to those individuals and say, see, so-and-so did it. Why don't you do it? It's like, yeah, but come on, man. Like the amount of sacrifice that you're, you're damaging yourself in the process. That's the frustration that the parent feels, it's, it's obviously reflected on the, on the way that they, they handle the child. Yeah. You don't want yeah. to have a frustrated parent. No. And then the strife and stress. I mean, I know strain and stress can, comes up in different forms, but, yeah. you know, money is, is the main motiva- right. motivator of that. Right. I want to loop back to the article that you wrote mm-hmm. uh, for a quick sec, because I feel like in the conversation of standard of living, we might be teetering on the, the humanity plus transhumanism conversation, <laughs> which is, uh, is fascinating, but I, I still want to pick your brain on this. You had asked me to uh, politely remind you of the points, but you had made up, you, you had remembered the point you were, you were touching on the points as we, as we talked, but I do want to go through them just quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first point you had made was about the two years um, education, you know, two years, and that's it. So we've already belabored that. Point. Not, not with the purpose of getting a job. Yes. I think that's an awesome distinction that you're making. Like you're not getting an education to get a job because again, when that was ever posed to me, it was only that, like, what are you going to do so you can get a job? Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, I've always liked psychology and I've always liked philosophy and, and these types of things, the things that just, you know, you think, and people were like, yeah, well, what are you going to do with philosophy? Yeah. It comes no, back but, to your you point. Know, but, but it starts from when kids are five, you know, you ask, well, what are you, you going to do when you're going to be, when you're going to grow up? That's a completely wrong question. You should say, how are you going to be when you grow up? But yes. nobody asked that. I mean, yes. so the kid says, oh my God, I have to be something. No, who says so? Nobody said, nobody. I have as yet to hear somebody say, ask the kid, how are you going to be when you grow up? Are you going to be happy? Are you going to be, you know, uh, helping society? Are you going to be helping yourself? Or how are you going to be? Not what? Yeah, that was one of the points that you had written about, which I thought was was amazing. Like I had highlighted, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? That should be the question that we should be asking. How do you want to contribute to society? Uh, 
because I'll be honest again, and just relating it back to me, because of course we know our lives the best that, you know, out of, I struggled for years uh, to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, you're supposed to find your passion and do it. And I've gone through a bunch of different things until I just came to the conclusion that I'm one of those people who just loves to learn about everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know that, that there, like, there's no job for that. The only thing I've come up with is this right here, podcasts, just talking to people about different ideas, learning as I go. Um, you know, I am in a position, thankfully, right now that my basic needs are taken care of, which is good. So now I'm just working on myself. And some, so some people ask, oh, are you monetizing the podcast? And like, well, not yet. But I mean, if I could, that would be great because then I would spend more time learning and having these conversations because this is what I want to do. I want to talk about psychology, linguistics, yeah. education, philosophy. I want to talk about all of it. Yeah. And the last time I checked, there's no degree that says, here, you're, you're one of those minds that thinks about everything. And we, you know, we can get you a degree for that and you can make money doing it. Right. That's the problem, right? It is. It is. And that's why I think we have to de- redefine uh, the concept of a job, of work, uh, because you would never say this is your job. No. This is your passion. Yeah. How many people say, oh, my job is my passion? No, nobody says that. Very few people. Mm-hmm. Very few. Mm-hmm. But it's not a job. No. No, not at all. I mean, the distinction that I've made between careers and jobs, right? So there's that that distinction there. Mm-hmm. I, I've had this conversation again with Kat, just saying that, like, listen, I have a job, and you know, you have a career. Like, you get you get paid X amount of dollars for doing that, which is fa- fascinating and it's fantastic and it challenges you. Mm-hmm. And I get paid X amount of dollars to do a job. Yeah, that's it, right? And I'm not saying that there's there's no need for jobs, but it seems like that is the main focus. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, that's that's the number one focus is getting out there and working, contributing to society. Is it because we've developed to an evolution? I was I've been throwing this around. Has it become? Uh-huh. Is because we've agreed uh, got to this point where we're at this evolutionary stance, right? Where we're amazing as humans, we've done amazing things, and yet because of the system that we've devised in order uh, based on these amazing things, we can't seem to move forward. Uh, we might be able to with humanity plus. <laughs> hey, let's, let's segue into it. Let's segue okay. into it. I love it. Now let's do it. <laughs> I, well, I mean, you, I, I, how did you learn about transhumanism, which the, the movement used to be called? Yeah. Nothing to do with trans. Uh, no, it uh, means uh, beyond humanity. How did you get the, how did you find out about it? You know, through different podcasts and different readings and kind of just exposing myself to different people who think about things differently. Uh, I, I stumbled across this uh, transhumanism. Of course, I'm a massive sci-fi fan as well and movie fan. So mm-hmm. these ideas have been explored a lot in, in movies and shows over the years, mm-hmm. but I just thought it was pure fantasy. And then, yeah, of course, a few years ago, you start to see these different things and people talking about different concepts that are starting to come to light. Um, and then I started taking it upon myself to do some research and, you know, start to go back at the beginning of some of these things. And, and last summer, two summers ago, I spent uh, about two months kind of going down a rabbit hole of eugenics um, and the history of eugenics, which is a fascinating thing. But 
the thing that I took away from that whole idea was that the basis of it, it wasn't to create a Holocaust situation. Mm-hmm. Holocaust was something that formed out of somebody's idea, you know, a lot of different motivations that take place there mm-hmm. and then finding a cornerstone to hang it on. But when you go back to the beginning of what eugenics was supposed to be, it was actually cousin, it was um, Darwin's cousin who came up with it, uh, right? And, and his idea, I thought at the heart of it was an interesting one. He asked the question, if we got smart individuals, you know, good looking individuals, he was a little more focused on, you know, that, that type of stuff, unfortunately. Um, if we get these people who can develop humanity and create, you know, evolutionary mutations you know, maybe we can create a better society. Now, of course, it goes into a whole dark direction um, to a point where it needed to be recalibrated and reprogrammed. Um, and people used it for nefarious purposes, which I thought was awful. Yes. But then I found Humanity Plus, which was transhumanism at the time. Mm-hmm. And now this, this belief, now what is this, first of all? Is this a, is this a belief? Is this a... I don't want to use the word religion, but I'm trying to wrap my head around <laughs> what they is themselves this? Uh, define themselves as a philosophical movement. Okay, so it is a little more philosophical based. Okay. Uh, well, yes, they have a vision of how things should unfold. I think that that's what the the idea is that that I, that we are at the point where we can actually think about bettering, enhancing. Anything that a human being has, whether it's organs, physical, or cognition, vision, hearing, whatever we have, we can enhance. And if you think about it, yeah, it's true. You know, they say the example is, their example is either coffee. Well, you have coffee because you wanna, you know, you wanna, you wanna feel more energetic or uh, you, you wear glasses, you wear hearing aids. But I think they go way beyond that, way mm-hmm. beyond that. Um, in the sense that, for example, do you want six fingers? Because that will make your guitar playing much better. And there is actually a person I found out uh, on YouTube who had the surgery. He has six fingers and he's playing guitar and it's fantastic. Uh, Would you like to see in the dark like a cat? Apparently there is only a very few, like two optical rods that you that they implant in your eye and you could be able to see like a cat at night. Would you like that? Um, there are all kinds of things that are happening now. Uh, yesterday, I uh, heard a presentation of a book that I think you should take a look at. Mm-hmm. The Mutant Project by Eben Kirksey, K-I-R-K-S-E-Y. And he... Um, analyzed to the minute detail um, the process. I don't know if if you heard about the Chinese uh, surgeon who took out part of two embryos DNAs so that the the girls, they were girls, they are girls, uh, wouldn't get uh, HIV. Apparently, the world doesn't know. He, he was very optimistic about it. He had all kinds of uh, uh, journalists ready to, once the girls are born, to get all, all the publicity. He, he was arrested, of course, because he was doing this. Uh, uh, but also, uh, the, girls, the, the girls were born in a terrible trouble. They are very, very ill. 
So uh, going back to uh, no, this is this is really this is genetics, and this is but it goes back to eugenics. Why HIV? Mm-hmm. Apparently in China, this all happened in China. In China, there is a great amount of fear of HIV. There's a great amount of uh, suspicion of people who have HIV. So, and it goes to you know the trans community. Uh, so, so it's very difficult to separate the eugenics from um, discriminatory practices. And apparently, the book goes into 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 detail about this too. Mm-hmm. But back to transhumanism and humanity plus. So what type of so so obviously this changes everything because we are not waiting for evolution to to do something. Mm-hmm. We are actually revolutionizing ourselves, and I think it has all kinds of beautiful aspects if you think about it, but all kinds also problematic aspects. And once you once you start tweaking things, especially genetically, because this doctor in China, I forgot his name, Dr. Tu or something like that. The fact that that genes were involved, these girls, should they have children, the children wouldn't have that gene for HIV. So already you're talking about completely changing at least one aspect of the human being that you wouldn't, you know, uh, you wouldn't have to worry about HIV. Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing? I mean, do we want, do we want uh, the part, part of the gene sliced out that, uh, well, it's, it's not, it's, uh, uh, okay, that, like, that, that doesn't let us have uh, the flu or whatever. Maybe we would like that. Mm-hmm. But that would, that would make a completely different human being. Human being. Because we rely on, on viruses and bacteria to make us what we are. So the, 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 the questions are so deep, but I think now is the time to, to actually discuss them. Because once, uh, you know, the technological people and the bio, um, uh, biology, physics, uh, whatever, uh, they will decide what to do, we won't have anything to do with the decision. That's, that's you know, who decided that this could be done, this, this operation in China? Uh, apparently, China has pretty lax laws about you know these things happening. Most yeah. most countries, even in the U.S., apparently you can the uh, uh, genomic research is uh, is high and you can you can do any experiment. But up to who who is it up to to decide? Should we do this? I mean, we can, but should we? Yeah, because one of the areas that you really get into, and and I see like I. I in preparation for this, but also for my my personal in, enjoyment, I was uh, doing a lot of reading and listening to a bunch of different podcasts uh, about different angles uh, of this. Uh, I listened to a debate that had a feminist, a biologist, and a philosopher, like those were sim- their similar backgrounds. I'd also listened to a different, uh, different podcast uh, by a guy who wrote a book called uh, To Be a Machine uh, by Mark McConnell. And I have, I, I downloaded it, but I haven't had a chance to on audible, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it just yet. And I liked the approach that he came at it because he was looking at it and he was asking these questions, but in all of these things, and then also had a chance to listen to one with David Pierce, who's obviously a co-founder mm-hmm. of, uh, of the original movements, mm-hmm. uh, transhumanism and, and still part of the humanity plus conversation. But the thing that kept coming up over and over again is ethics, 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 ethics. And some people feel that we shouldn't worry about that too much. And, you know, when do we have these conversations like you just posed? And I kept that, I, I think I wrote that down five times in my notes. 
I think you have to have the conversations now, don't you? I mean, Absolutely. if we've learned anything about Google and the internet that seemed to happen overnight, um, you kind of have to have these, these chats now. And what, what is absolutely fascinating is, for example, we can cure some types of deafness. And people in the deaf community uh, were asked, I mean, would you like to ask to, uh, you know, to do, to do the uh, procedure on you? And they said, absolutely not. This is what I am. So contrary to what you would expect, you'd say, oh my gosh, these people are saying no. And how about if we can do it for your children? Absolutely not. It's not up to me to decide what happens. Whereas humanity plus people would say, no, it is up to you. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you can and you have to decide. So I think that there is a there are still too many variables to, to think about. There is we don't have. I mean, we have some things that you can, we can, we can hold uh, uh, in our hands and talk about it. But I think that there are, for example, you were talking about ethics, but how about personal feelings? Can the government decide for, for us? Can the lawyers decide for us? Can the people who will pander this, capitalists, decide for us? It's scary, though. Very scary. I think that that's the thing that terrifies me the most. And I think that's something that comes up for a lot of people is that once this, I think that it's only going to be a matter of time before we are starting to see some movement in this. And then once we do, are we looking at individuals who only have the financial status to be able to execute some of these things, right? And then you create an even bigger divide, right? There was somebody, somebody had said, um, you know, the, super intelligent create a super cognition creating you know super divide which is a real possibility i mean you know the people that don't have you know people that are middle class and low class it's really hard to get up there and if you're low class to get to high class you're not skipping those steps you have to take those steps gradually but if that if that ascension we're talking about with bettering ourselves that much more, mm-hmm. we're creating even more of a gap, are we not? Absolutely, absolutely. And then who is to say what happens, you know, uh, especially if, if prostheses are mechanical, I mean, they will have to be kept up. And what happens if we live 500 years? That's another aspect of Humanity Plus. They are really for, um, you know, sort of looking at old age as uh, a sickness that should be cured. Okay, so uh, the 7 billion people that are that are living now, out of those maybe half, uh, half so that's uh, three and a half billion, can, can reach the age of 200. Is that good? Should they? Should we? I don't know. And then people are talking, I mean, there's this uh, Aubrey the Gray, I don't know if you, if you heard about him. He, he's talking about that we can live 1,000 years. Because he, he really gets into the cells. And what's the problem when we get older? Uh, you know, junk piles up. And he, he, he has ideas how to clear that junk, how to make the cell really work perfectly. So therefore, there'd be no aging. Well, let me ask you this, because this was something I was curious to ask you. If you did have the choice to live 500 years, 1,000 years, live forever, would you do it? My gut reaction would say yes, but my brain says no, that's no way. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, there are lots of science fiction stories that deal with this particular aspect. And um, 
Oh gosh, you know, now at this particular moment, I forgot the titles, but I can I can send them to you if you want, if you want to add it to your, to your podcast. Um, and uh, basically, those people are not very happy uh, because they have seen it all. On the other hand, somebody says, well, if I were to read every book that has ever been written, I, mean, I need thousand years. That's so true. yeah, I want I want to live. <laughs> and then you know, uh, I'm learning Sanskrit. Can you imagine like the the literature that they have is three thousand years old. Uh, some of it is not being translated. You have to know it. Yeah. Uh, so you need one thousand years. <laughs> well, it's true, and I think that some of the things that that they explore these in. Um, they put that person, usually vampires, let's be honest. I mean, it's usually vampire stories that, that depict that uh, they're always miserable and they're always living for the moment because the moment is never actually going to arrive, right? Mm-hmm. But you're also throwing somebody into a situation where most people are, are dying and most people are, are leaving. So you're kind of plucking them from one you know, philosophical question and putting them into reality. But I, I think for me, what I've been exploring is that if I could live it's not so much a question of how long, but at what status, right? This is where transhumanism does get into that really fascinates me is if you have the ability to live, you know, at, at your physical peak Mm -hmm. for as long as you can, give me 150 years Mm -hmm. on this, on this planet, but give me 130 of those where I'm not feeling any physical ailments. Give me a hundred years where I'm not feeling any physical ailments. I think that that is far cry better than what we're doing now. I mean, we're talking about something that's not even possible versus what we're doing now, which as we know, you know, as soon as we are born, we're dying, right? That, right. that is like, it right. is a limit. It is a limit, but this is a question that I have for you as well. It's a philosophical one that I've been kind of tossing around, which is what makes us us? Yeah. Is it our body or is it our mind, right? And I think that you cannot separate them. The duality cannot be thought of to answer the question. Uh, I really believe that it is both and they contribute to each other. And once you start tweaking one, there is bound to be a reaction on the other one. Mm -hmm. So just like you said, well, okay, let's say physically, we could could make ourselves live very long, but are we ready psychologically for it? People are not ready now, but I mean, why do people commit suicide? So, so there are aspects of our life that we don't know about. And I think if we separate, and that's a, another problem with education, it separates science from humanities. You cannot separate them. By the way, opening a, a, a parentheses, universities offer something that I don't think people usually think about. And that is very recently, they have established studies in futurology. Because we have, you know, we have departments of history, we have departments of anthropology, but we don't have the departments of future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is a fascinating subject. Uh, so that again would be part of the two years that you could you could really look at. Anyway, so parenthesis closed. Uh, so to answer your question, I don't think we can. I don't think we can separate the two. Hmm. There is a give and take, uh, and I don't know, I haven't really uh, thought it out in detail, but that would be my, my sort of look at it, uh, my, my first response, that you cannot separate them. Yeah, because I mean, I think for me, it has to start at what you feel you know, uh, beliefs, 
what you've ed- what you've been educated on, what history has taught us. It has to start there because with any of these philosophical ideas, religious ideas, political ideas, it all starts with what you feel you know, and then you can support it. It's almost like backwards engineering it, right? Because even with Humanity Plus, I'm looking at this going, okay, so David Pierce, when he was talking, he was talking about the tenets of Humanity Plus, but then he stopped himself and said, I actually have to make sure that I differentiate what my beliefs are versus humanity, because at the time it was uh, is transhumanism. And, and that gets me again thinking about this idea of, okay, so I get it. It's great. We have to have these you know, subcategories of all these conversations. But if we continue to splice off all these subcategories, then you're just going to create categories where people are going to sit and, you know, the, uh, the cyborgs are, are an example of that, right? The, uh, the greenhouse, I believe, is, is, one of the, is one of the factions or one of the companies. And, and they're the ones that are mm-hmm. augmenting themselves physically right now, mm-hmm. right? And they're having some success with it, but apparently it's at great cost as well. Um, yes. I mean, right? there are all kinds of hackers that, you know, they are implanting chips in their wrists yeah. and uh, at, at great cost. Painful cost. Painful cost, yes. You know, they are doing it themselves, so maybe they are saving some money, but uh, it's very painful. Yeah. Um, so, so doing that, I am sure it has an effect on, uh, what was it? I forgot now. Uh, what was the chip about? Something about seeing, that he sees, he sees more colors, I think, something like that. Mm, so okay. that has an effect on how you think about the world. Mm-hmm. And they are, they are, you cannot separate them, right? Yeah. You don't say, well, this is the body and this is your mind or this is your brain. They are, your brain gets information from your body. It's, it's a great idea. It's a great thought. I mean, I've, I've explored it in, in different situations where, oh, okay, maybe we're not the body. Maybe we are the consciousness. Maybe we are this. Maybe we are that. Um, but I had taken a psychology course a couple of years ago. And what I was discovering there in, in just learning actually really opened my eyes because in talking about the history of how we learned how the ear works, for instance, or the eye works, you know, somebody comes along and says, this is the theory. And then somebody else comes along and says, actually, no, it's this. And then the third person comes along and says, actually, guys, it's both. And I think that this is kind of what we're missing on a grander scale is all of these people are exploring their own ideas, which is amazing. But at some point in time, it's all going to come together because it's all going to work together. There's no possible way one of these things is going to be the answer. And it's very interesting, I think, that the technology it, uh, allows for much more division than being together. Mm-hmm. Because you have mm-hmm. these little groups, uh, and if I don't know about them, well, then, you know, they are off on their own tangent. There's another group on their own tangent. And there is nothing that sort of combines uh, the results or the, the discussion. Well, this is actually going back to tying in different types of people. I think that this is where those types of people who think about things differently, that are the ones that do join all of these things together and, you know, try to create a forum. It seems like podcasting is something that people are really hoping, like some of the real hardcore podcasters, they seem to want to offer that platform for people to be able to come forward, no judgment, 
not a debate because to be honest with you, I think debates are useless. I mean, just shouting over somebody is not getting you anywhere. Um, but having open discussion, I think is, is different. And, and that's a major distinction between debating and discussion. Maybe don't, not debate, but conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, not trying to uh, proselytize and not trying to have you convert to something else but simply to put the ideas forth. One of the things that David Pierce explores a lot uh, and really caught my eye or in my ear was uh, increasing the hedonic treadmill set point. Are, are you familiar with this concept at all? No, uh, give me an example. So are you familiar with the term hedonic treadmill? No. Okay, so this oh, the, more, the more you do something that you like, the more you want, want it and you keep on going. Is that it? Um, almost. It's more so that the whether you do more or less, you're always going to settle back your personality, your mindset's always going to settle back at a certain set point. So for instance, if you're, if you're well balanced, you're going to get those adulation moments and you're going to get those down moments, but your, your set point is who you really are. Some people's set point might be really high, those individuals who are, you know, optimistic all the time. Uh, and that's kind of their set point. Um, it's a psychological concept that's interesting. It, it was kind of brought to my attention last year. And I thought it was something that was worth kind of exploring a little bit more. But it's, I don't know. Uh, I think that assumes that your individuality stays as it is. But I think we change. I think we change over time mm -hmm. we change with our experiences. So I don't know if there's a set point. I think the way that I read the concept and the way that I, the way that I feel the concept is mm -hmm. anyways, is that I agree that you can improve and, and approve upon yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't think you gen, I don't think you lose who you are as a person, as you grow. I think you develop, especially if you're open-minded enough and you're aware right. enough. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think along the way that you can still increase your, say, set point. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was somebody who was really angry and somebody who was really negative when they were younger, but I'm much more well-balanced now. And that's not at the sacrifice of being happy or at sometimes being sad. I, I generally am. So I agree with you. I think people can definitely improve themselves, um, but I still think it's somewhat incremental. I think it's a step-by-step -step process. I don't think you go from being a 20-year-old person to a 50-year-old person um, within five years. Mm -hmm. You still need those. Maybe that goes back to those experiences, right? Those. And this is my question for Humanity Plus. Mm -hmm. What happens in the intervening 30 years? If you make, you can make the 20-year-old live 50 years, sort of uh, skip it, Mm -hmm. or make the 50-year-old stay at 50, isn't there, like, isn't that logically that you're expecting something else beyond? I mean, will that, will that hinder that, that development or will that stay as it is? Yeah, yeah. And I think that for me, the way that Pierce seems to be trying to communicate it, although I think with some of these guys, because he's pretty philosophical mm -hmm. as well uh, as being, you know, really entrenched in, in, you know, his philosophy and idea, mm -hmm. which is great. I think he feels that you could do it all. I feel, I think he feels that you can be that 20 year old with the 50 year old experience and mindset. 
um, and not have to rest there. He feels that this thing is, but he doesn't know, he doesn't know how to get there, obviously, but whether that's through technology or through something, there's got to be something that ignites, whether it's a hedonic treadmill or just people's ability to be able to grow and experiencing things on a massive level. Mm -hmm. um, there has to be something there mm -hmm. um, not to go completely off to the side for a second, but the people experimenting with mushrooms, that's something that people have really felt like they've gotten themselves in touch with is mind expanding things like that, that really open their, open the opportunity up, whether it's something because the system that we've talked about has got them thinking in different directions and focused on the wrong things, but there really feels like a veil gets pulled back and allows the brain to think in ways that it was otherwise hindered in doing. And it makes me wonder if that's something that that has to be influential in the transhumanism, any philosophy. Oh yeah, they would, they, they would say, yeah, anything that gets you, gets you beyond what you are. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I play the piano, that's how I feel. I don't need mushrooms. Like I, because it is, it is a, it is a. Somebody said learning to play the piano is a, is a spiritual path. And uh, so there are different ways of achieving that goal. And uh, transhumanists would say, yeah, sure, if that gets your thing going, go ahead. You know, mushrooms or or whatever drugs uh, there there are. You know. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if it's the mushroom or if it's because you're already predisposed to do something that's different, different than anybody else is doing, you know, something, this is your own stuff. So you are already predisposed. So maybe a glass of wine would have done it or a bottle of wine would have done it. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you because <laughs> I, I really do feel that it's a lot of motivation. You know, I've talked to a lot of people over the years and, and you know, they, oh, you know, can you procure this? Can you procure that? And it's yes. like, well, what's your intent though? Is, is your intent to disassociate? Because if you're, if you're just trying to escape from reality, if this is just an escapism thing, yeah. no, this is not for you. But if you are predisposed to have those questions in your mind, or like you said, you've gotten to the table and there is something there for you to consume that's going to open your mind, you're already open-minded enough as it is. So I agree with you. I don't think it, it doesn't have to be mushrooms. And that's why I, when people say to me, oh, I did mushrooms and they spoke to me. It's like, they didn't speak to you. <laughs> you spoke to yourself. <laughs> Let's be real about this for a moment, okay? I mean, I respect the earth. Are you guys have fun? Hey, what are you doing in there? Hey, uh, come here. I'll give me, I'm going to give. <laughs> oh, you're break. Oh. Some soup. <laughs> some soup. Very Rapini's, nice. Uh, broth. What a man. What a, I, wish, I wish you were here to bring me a nice piece of steak right now. We will make it up to you. We'll make I it had it when yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it soon. We'll do it soon. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. As soon as uh, you know, we're available. Absolutely. Hey, no problem at all. I'm I'm patient, man. <laughs> you that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, no, you're right. I mean, uh, it is really up to the individual to to mm -hmm. do this. On the other hand. Uh, that's what I, I think I remember one of the things that in, in your last podcast, I said, by wait, uh, not everything is up to the individual. I mean, the fact that 
people know about mushrooms? How do they know about mushrooms? Mm -hmm. You know, what they do, etc. So you do need to be hooked to groups or other individuals and, you know, and society as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, why is marijuana legalized and other, other drugs are not? You know, so it's, it's the, the, the amount of knowledge that we have to have as individuals I think is limited. So that's why we need more, we need other people. We need to be social. We need to, and we also rely on other people for our food, for the houses they build, for everything. So it's not, you know, uh, I don't think that saying, well, you know, it's individual. No, no, it's it's much more complex than that. You're, you are right about that. And, that. and that is a great distinction because you, you can't do this on your own. No. None of this you can do on your own. And I think that it goes back to the crux of it all, which is critical thinking. If, if you have the ability to be able to ask these questions or just ask questions in general and not feel like you're demonized for it, not, not be made to feel like you're, you know, sir, you're, well, you're an idiot for asking something that you I, don't know. I used to be so mad when students said, but my, my question is stupid. I said, no, there are no stupid questions. There are only stupid answers. That's what I said. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you can't. How, how do you, then, then don't ask it. If you think it's stupid already, don't ask it. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're right. Uh, we have to ask and start at the beginning, whatever the question is, because that's the question that you are asking for yourself. But obviously you need to, divulge it you need to ask other people absolutely that's why and you know technology is not really i mean in one on the one hand it helps us to answer certain questions but i think we still do need the conversation we still do need the debate even uh, not violent but uh, we need to listen to other people who have different opinions I agree with that. And I don't think that there's any harm in doing that as long as people are kind of on the same page about what the conversation is supposed to be. Like they're, I'm willing to have a conversation with anybody. They don't have to agree with what I have to say. That's not part of a conversation for me, but maybe that's where we have to start kind of changing and tweaking the way that we view these things and what they're called. You know, a yeah. debate is two people coming from opposite sides. Well, why can't a conversation be the exact same thing? Uh, I think one of the problems with debating nowadays is the fact that language has been devalued. Uh, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, it's just semantics, but they don't realize what is semantics. They don't know what it is, or they don't, they don't pay attention to how they speak. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and that's, and that's definitely is due to bad education system, to, to, to the wrong way of looking at things. You have to cultivate your language. It doesn't just drop in your head. And it's also the tools that we're using outside of school, right? If, if school's not teaching us one way, then you drop in a cell phone, which I'll be honest, I do a lot of voice to texts. And as of late, probably over the past couple of months, a couple of weeks for, for, for sure, I've gone to, gone to typing them back out because I was finding that, first of all, the way that you type a message and the way that you speak are completely different. You know, and, and if you don't pay attention to that kind of stuff, you, you can be conveying very different signals. I, I'm a big believer in communication. Yeah, and that's, that's another thing that technology is doing. I mean, if everything goes vo uh, voice commanded or voice uh, transmitted, um, do we need to know how to read and write?
you had posed that question to me the last time we got together and, and I've been thinking about it quite a bit. And, you know, then we ended up watching, uh, uh, 1984, uh, George Orwell, which is like, you know, and when you, when you start looking at these futuristic, these utopian um, or, uh, or otherwise type movies, and they have gone away from languages, um, the strive seems to always be to get back to what we had. We watched another movie that was uh, similar to 84 called Fahrenheit 421. Or right? yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. Sorry. Um, and that, that was a great, uh, that was a great depiction of what we truly value, you know, written language. It's interesting that you saw a movie that you didn't read the book. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't even know that. It, first of all, the guy who stars in it is, uh, is Kat and I's uh, personal uh, savior, uh, who is that? <laughs> Michael Shannon. We, we love that actor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so there was a there was an ulterior motivation there. There was an added motivation. Yeah. Although uh, we are currently, uh, you'll be you'll be happy to know this. Well, you know her love for for books and and literature, anyways. But we've already started a list of what we want to have in our library because one of the things that I've again not growing up with books, I, I strongly believe that you should have them around, yeah. uh, in, you know, in order to create that atmosphere of the things that you that you hold valuable to yourself. And so, I mean, I have always been an avid communicator, paying attention to what's said, how it's said, body language, mm -hmm. all of the unwritten things, because like I said, early on, I was kind of told that that's nah, not your strong suit. So focus on mm -hmm. something else. But my, my passion has always been talking to people, right? So I just kind of conveyed that into another, another area. But the written word is so unbelievably valuable, um, but can still be constructed in so many different ways. And that's the thing that fascinates me mm -hmm. about language is- But it's interestingly enough, the technology goes in a way that it, it will do away with voice, voice communication too. Because mm -hmm. now they are talking, you know, brain to brain, uh, brain waves to brain waves communication. But the wave has to be made of something. I mean, yeah. you know. Uh, I I still can't wrap my head around that. I had first heard that with uh, Neuralink with, with Musk. And uh, I think there's, uh, there's a couple of other people now that are exploring actually, oh, it was, uh, yeah, here it is, Brian Johnson. Um, he was the one who had founded uh, Braintree and then he started to, he sold that off to eBay for $800 million, which is a ridiculous amount of money. Mm -hmm. But then he wanted to get into the neurosciences and they, they were starting to work on, memory tracking and you know neural link neural lacing those types of things came into the equation when i first heard about this i was like i don't know how i feel about this how is this going to be used if if you and i are going to sit down are you just going to have access to all my information or how does that work and i had a lot of questions about or this everybody else will have access then because then it comes back to the original point what's the need for conversation and then where does that leave us as, as humanity? What, what are we, if we're not a communicative species working together to collaborate, if all the information is just boop, stuck right in the brain mm -hmm. and we don't have to worry about it, then it makes me wonder, what do we look like then? Mm, probably not like we do now. <laughs> Definitely not. And probably not motivated by the same things. And there is maybe the answer to your question. Is it, is it the body or is it, is it the mind i mean is it no it's both it's, it's it both you cannot separate that you cannot separate it but interestingly you know, in a sorry go no no i was just gonna uh no please go on 
uh, interestingly enough, uh, you know, I'm not asking the question about, you know, do we need to know how to read and write? Uh, reading and writing are an added uh, weight on our brain because our brain was not wired to read and to write. Mm. That's why it takes kids a lot. That's why kids have problems because the brain has to make space and new connections. And that's very difficult at a certain age already because five, six, you know, that's already old. Mm -hmm. So for the brain, um, but it is, I mean, obviously everybody learns, um, but it is an interesting thing. Well, if we then don't read and write, we open up the space of the brain for reading and writing for something else. That's true. And what could that be? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine millions of things, but <laughs> no, it's it's you know it the, it's it's an interesting conversation. It's one I want to continue on with you moving forward, but I think I want to leave it there for now. However, before we do end, uh, at the begin uh, off air, you had said there was something that you wanted to end on that you wanted people to kind of think about and ponder. Uh, did we end up covering that, or is that something that you? No, I think it's like... about it. I, I just wanted to add that maybe uh, if there was a way to to let people sort of have more time to question everything in a sense that and don't accept everything at face value, and that's why I think that's where university could be helpful, but not university for jobs, for work, mm -hmm. courses that will make you something. So it's uh, that that would be my my sort of final word, but that requires uh, a lot of work, which I would be perfectly willing if anybody wants to start a group to to change the system as it is now. I am in. I love it. And so, if that is the case, how can people find you? Do you want me to include some links into this uh, podcast? Uh, uh, yes, you can. You can have the Reading Rascal link. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I think it's it's awesome. You're you're definitely one of the right types of people to be having these conversations with <laughs> because you. you're I really you're, appreciate your your uh, uh, your giving me chance to, to do this. I'm hoping that this won't be the last. I, I don't think it, it's going to be. I think that we have still so much left on the table to talk about. I think we just scratched the surface of a lot of this stuff. Um, and I, I really appreciate your, your you insight and your input and and the way that your mind works. I would say don't change, but I mean, that, that goes without saying. <laughs> We do change, whether we want it or not. We do change. <laughs> I mean, good. sometimes we want it, but sometimes we don't. <laughs> That's a very good point. But again, thank you very much for taking the time uh, out of your day to sit down with me. Um, I, I think that people will get a lot of this. I know I did. And selfishly, that's really the thing that I wanted the most was I wanted <laughs> well, keep to. On, keep on being selfish. How is this? <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you.